You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods, hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Uh, Sixers star and league MVP Joel Embiid has reassured team president Daryl Morey that he is committed to the team after comments made during the interview raised questions about whether or not he would soon request a trade from Philadelphia. So he was speaking with Maverick Carter at the Uninterrupted Sports Film Festival. And this is what Joel had to say. I just want to win a championship, um, you know, whatever it takes. I don't know what that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or, you know, anywhere else. You know, I just want to have a chance uh, to accomplish that. I want to see what it feels like to win that first one and then think about, you know, the next one, um, you know. It's not easy, um, but, you know, it takes more than, you know, one, you know, two, three guys. You know, they'll have, uh, you know, good people around you. And, you know, I, myself, you know, every single day I work hard to, you know, be at that level uh, so I can produce and make it happen. So. so it was the part where he said, I want to win a championship, well, whether that be in Philadelphia or anywhere else that raised a lot of eyeballs. Also, I, I want to make sure I play the full quote in his context. You hear him talking about, you know, it takes more than one person, takes multiple people. Kind of echoing comments he made after they lost to Boston also, which also raised uh, a lot of eyebrows uh, in that game seven loss they had to the, Sixers, to the Celtics. So um, that was a full context of Joel's comments. Now, he has since uh, walked back those comments. He's gone on Twitter saying he essentially was trolling. And now, according to Ian Bagley, the uh, – According to people that have talked to him, he says that he has met with Maury and head coach Nick Nurse to state his commitment to the team and his goal to play for one franchise for his entire career. Uh, Maury then also, you know, reaffirmed that though that conversation did happen um, sometime over the last few days. So, meanwhile, uh, the Knicks who sit back with a treasure trove that includes four tradable unprotected picks, three first round protected picks, three pick swaps available. Um, they wait for essentially the right star and the right fit to put next to Jalen Brunson. According to Knicks writer uh, Fred Katz of The Athletic, Knicks are taking this approach uh, about any prominent player that they consider acquiring. Quote, does he fit with Brunson? If the answer is no, then he's not worth the massive return it takes to acquire him. Apparently, the Zach Levine conversations didn't go very far because the price was too high from Chicago. Apparently, the Knicks have uh, have expressed no interest in Carl Anthony Towns. Both of those uh, nuggets coming from Katz. Uh, Katz notes that Embiid is seen by the Knicks as a perfect fit, given his ability to play pick and roll, defend the rim, dominate in the post, while still being a 29-year-old player in the prime of his career. So, Tommy, on the Philly side, are you convinced Philly can do enough to keep Joel Embiid happy, given where they're at right now? As of right now, it seems like he's 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 committed to them, but this Harden situation looks tenuous to say the least. Yeah. And, and in any situation, any relationship between a star player and the franchise, um, as we've learned, especially in this age of empowerment, however you want to, you know, kind of characterize it, you know, a lot of LeBron is, you know, commonly, uh, you know, credited, um, depending on if you want to give him credit or blame on the, <laughs> right. on the, on this new day and age in the NBA in which superstars are no longer committed, you know, um, in years of past, uh, you know, Malone, his whole career with the Jazz, Patrick, essentially his whole career um, uh, with uh, with the Knicks, of course. And, you know, the other superstars that era, Reggie Miller in Indiana, et cetera. Um, there obviously wasn't as much movement among the top five, 10, 20, you know, all NBA type players. Um, whereas nowadays, 
um, it's shocking if a player does, you know, last more than, you know, beyond two contracts with, with one yeah. team um, when he's when he's an elite player. Um, and that's because, you know, teams are no longer, you know, players no longer feel beholden to franchises. They've understood the, the dynamics, the economics of the sport, that they're expendable. Um, you know, obviously there, the Isaiah Thomas case in Boston and, you know, his career was never the same after, um, leaving it all out there, uh, literally yeah. on the floor for the Celtics and, you know, his contract, um, you know, and then get getting traded to Cleveland, et cetera, has never been the same player since. So, um, because of that, do I think things have calmed down? Yes. I don't think they were at a boiling point, you know, despite, um, you know, Embiid's kind of offhanded comments. Um, yeah. But, you know, as we talked about, it, it sometimes that kind of sparks something that a player's unhappy and now he has the opportunity to speak out. So maybe that could lead to more comments. You know, I don't think anyone was expecting him to come out, um, you know, this week and say, I'm never playing for the Sixers again. But, right. you know, again, it's, it's something to keep an eye on. It's, it looks like they've kind of calmed the waters there a little bit. But again, so much is dependent upon James Harden. Um, because there's basically two ways this plays out. Um, you know, th if they don't it, right now, it sounds like, you know, Harden has his eyes set on the Clippers. The Clippers actually, it sounds like don't are not are unwilling to trade Trey Mann and future draft capital for Harden, which tells you mm -hmm. a lot about Harden at, at this stage. Yeah, where he's at at this point in his career. Exactly. Where, how valuable other teams consider him. There's obviously, if another team thought, oh my God, James Harden, the MVP James Harden was available, there'll be teams lining up. Um, that, that's no longer the case. Um, but, you know, he's obviously a, a, a an important player on the uh, on the Sixers. You know, second team, second leading scorer, led the team in assists. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Should he remain with the Sixers? Um, you know, Maury's basically it's important to note here that Maury's pitched and I'm sure this is what he reiterated in conversations this week is listen I don't want to say we're going to get through this year but let's let's look ahead let's we're obviously going to compete for a championship we're going to put ourselves in the best position to compete for a championship if we play well in the fourth quarter of game six maybe we're in the NBA finals you know uh, you know uh, last month so there's a lot there even when we're not at our peak you know efficiency that being said Maury's having is is reminding Embiid to look ahead. This it, it, twelve months from now, in the summer of twenty twenty four, the Sixers are in a great position to have maximum cap space available. Tobias Harris contracts comes off the books, as does uh, James Harden's. Obviously, assuming you know he's opted in, he has one year left. They keep him and they let that contract expire, and they don't have to re-sign Tyrese Maxey until after they bring in free agent. So they could theoretically get a max player, maybe two max players depending on how they kind of cook the books yeah. and they could, they could trade out some, some expendable contracts, sign and trade things along those lines, and then surround uh, Embiid and Maxi as your two cornerstones with another third superstar. So that's kind of Maury's pitch. I'm sure that's, you know, what, he, that's what he sold Embiid on. Uh, Embiid is aware of this. He understands this. Is he willing to wait another year? Is he willing to wait another year and a month? You know, in other words, let's see what Maury does in free agency. Can he bring in the superstar? He's kind of been promising me or hinting at that, the, that he's going to surround me with. Um, we'll see how all that plays out. So, um, you know, I, I think it's it's likely that he at least gives the Sixers a full year. Um, and, uh, you know, but again, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll reassess. We'll take his temperature in December when the Knicks play the Sixers at the Garden. Does he have any confidence? Yeah, when the when the when the Sixers lose four in a row and and James Harden doesn't show up to practice one day and Nick Nurse is riding his starters too hard and there's there's friction um, does Embiid you know make a make some noise we'll see but um, the most likely scenario is you know it's kind of status quo for the next year or so and then we'll we'll reassess but 
um, as you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah, I think this could be, we could be walking into what may be Joel Embiid's most challenging year as a Sixer, yeah. which I think is going to make this season very interesting because we know what a situation is like when James Harden is unhappy and still on the team. I mean, it becomes mm -hmm. an absolute untenable environment. We saw that in Houston. We saw that in Brooklyn. So if the Sixers are going to, you know, basically say, hey, we're going to just keep Harden until we get exactly what we want. And it to me, it's very clear that James Harden is just to, to a lot of NBA teams not worth a superstar kind of package or a superstar kind of contract. That's why James Harden opted in. He could have very well opted out of his contract and, you know, tried to find a, a team that would have signed to a max deal or a team that would have been able to try to swing a sign and trade. And basically there was no money out there for him, at least not the money that he thinks he would deserve. So he had no choice, but if he wanted that 40 million this year to take that money and then hope that somehow a deal could be swung. But right now things aren't going in his favor. So you got the Harden situation where you don't know what's going to happen. Even if he does get traded, now you're talking about bringing in one, two, three, maybe four new players into your team. Now you're trying to build chemistry. You have a brand new coach who's trying to implement his own system. And then you have this hanging thing about, you know, Joel Embiid and the top clock ticking on him winning a championship. Like a lot of people have been behind Joel Embiid in terms of that him versus Jokic thing, saying that, hey, Embiid is just as good, if not better. He plays defense. And you can't keep crowning a guy like, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, Jokic. When he hasn't won anything, well, Jokic has won something. Now people are looking at Embiid and say, well, hey, we were the guy that we were, you know, championing you as maybe the best center. How come you haven't won anything, you know? So, like, it's it's going to be, a, I think, a challenging season. I think the Sixers could be in a bad spot, which then will force Embiid to eventually have to make a decision. Is he going to decide, hey, you know what, this thing is working out by the end of next season, and then he decides to make a trade? Do they, do they switch? You know, who knows what happens at that point? But I think that this this is going to be potentially a tough go of it for the Sixers. And that's a great spot to be in for the Knicks, not just because you may want Joel and be in the future. But, I mean, this is a team that was ahead of you in the standings in your conference. So the Knicks have an opportunity to potentially move up if the Sixers do have a down year and things don't work out the way they hope. Maybe the Knicks are the team looking at themselves saying, hey, now we're the fourth seed. Maybe we're the third seed. We'll talk about the winning win totals in a minute, but. Uh, this situation in Philly, I think, is very close to follow on multiple fronts. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, a lot of it obviously gets talked regarding Harden, his exit from Houston, coming to camp out of shape, you know, going to strip clubs and parties and, and when, when all that kind of drama went down before the trade to Brooklyn. Uh, but you're right. A lot of, you know, people kind of forget that he forced his way out of Brooklyn, too, um, under, you yeah. know, really not they, pretty circumstances. I mean, yeah, they had lost like 10 games in a row or something crazy during that stretch. They were playing awful basketball. And he was like just mailing it basically for a month. I just look. I just called up his basketball reference game log from that season. So this is February second, twenty twenty two. What would ultimately be his final game as a Nick, uh, as a Net. As sorry, a net, yeah. played thirty seven minutes, scored four points on two of eleven shooting. Um, uh, he didn't play the next night. I, I forget what it was. He's you know whether he said it was a hamstring or an hamstring. <laughs> hamstring was tight or something. Like it was something something like that. Yeah. Lo, lo and behold, he gets straight to the Sixers. His first game at Philly, twenty seven, twelve, and eight. Yeah. Um, so well, he found the fountain of youth, I guess, somewhere uh, on on 95 on, on his way out to Philly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so that kind of again, and you're right. I, I, I forgot that part of the story, too. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven straight losses. Yeah. That was in the middle of yeah. a, a 11 game losing. It's crazy. Like 
that. So, so yeah, that was with Kyrie Irving playing half the games, and and yep. then they actually had a they had a they had a they, I believe they had like a road trip at that point. So Kyrie actually played a lot of those games. They lost yep. in a row. Both of those guys playing together, they had no chemistry. Harden seemed like he wanted nothing to do with Kyrie, and they were an absolute mess. So Philadelphia, that's what you have in waiting in store for you if you decide to bring an unhappy. James Harden back. Yeah, that's a, almost a best case scenario that he decides to show up for camp. That he decides, right. to, yeah, you know, like it, it could be worse. Yeah, because in Houston, he, he basically was, you know, he's going to party with little baby during training camp while practices were happening in Houston. I mean, Daryl Morey's playing with a lot of fire right now. And then and, you got and, Nick, and, Nick Nurse isn't the kind of coach that can you know laugh off stuff like that. You know, he's going right. to try to come in and be, you know set an example, and you know, one of those they're going to butt heads and. It, it could get ugly if it, it there's there's a scenario there that that things get really ugly again that doesn't mean Embiid's definitely going to leave but things could definitely go south with with Harden yeah and if it, if that goes south with Harden that almost will certainly affect like I said the win loss record for Philly and even if Joel Embiid decides he is going to stick it out for the whole year or whatever again that's good for the Knicks because that's a a, a, a team that is in your division a team that you're going to be competing with for playoff positioning and you could be in a great spot moving forward to uh, to make a run here if Philly struggles. What do you think about the Knicks' approach uh, and the stuff said by, you know, Frank, Frank, Frank Katz essentially saying that the Knicks are waiting for the right star. They're not going to trade for some of these other stars that they deem good, but players that don't fit. Like, they, they had no interest in Carlton Towns, which, you know, shouldn't be that surprising, but given his relationship with Leon Rose, I think to some people it would be. And that the Zach Levine thing, they really didn't have much interest in either because the, the Bulls asking price was too high. The Knicks um, deeming uh, and be that perfect fit. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, real quick, and I'll answer that in a second. Do you have the over-unders? What's Philly's over-under? Have they, have they, so that's they, a good, interesting question. So there are a couple of books that actually haven't even listed them yet because oh, they want to see okay. what happens with Harden. Just because there's so um, much uncertainty there. Yeah, I saw there are a few that have them at 40. The oh, few that do have them have them at 49 and a half. Ooh, that's a high number for, for that. Other yeah, player. and the only two books that I saw that even had them listed. Right, so that right. told me that perhaps maybe they were the outlier that suggested maybe they shouldn't have had them that high given all the right. uh, issues they're dealing with. Um, interesting. And we'll talk about the Knicks over-under in a minute here. Um, yep. As far as to directly answer your question about the Knicks approach, um, I just it, – it's, it's such a pleasant relief, such, a, such an encouraging sign. Um, I wrote about it at length uh, at the start of this offseason um, after the Knicks got eliminated, essentially two articles specifically entitled, no, the Knicks should, should not trade for Carl Anthony yeah. and no, the Knicks should not trade for Zach Levine. Um, uh, this kind of circles back to the, uh, and it's, and we talked about it in the previous pod uh, earlier this week about Jalen Brunson, the one year anniversary and how that, that changes the entire kind of landscape, the, 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 just the entire feel of the organization and the franchise. Um, and not just because, as you know, um, one of the, uh, the reports in the athletic article and Katz's athletic article was they want somebody that'll fit well with Brunson, but th just the fact that they have Brunson, yeah, what right. do you want to call him? A superstar, a, an elite superstar, a star. Well, he's a very, very, very good player who's played even better in the in the in the uh, in the postseason. I was looking at numbers. I'm going to write about it uh, for, for my post tomorrow. Just kind of talk about one year. You know, basically contrasting the state of the franchise 
this morning as, the, as, as opposed to 12 months ago, the day that they, uh, um, Wednesday was the introductory press conference for, for Brunson. And uh, obviously the, the upgraded point guard position, but just kind of the feel of the organization. In, in years past, the Knicks would have had felt a ton of pressure to trade for Carl Anthony Towns. Yes, he's a bit, you know, he's not a great defender. Um, his contract's bad, but he's a star. He's an old star. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's a really good player. He can score a lot of points. Uh, maybe he'll be very good. You know, like, you know, Zach Levine's like a, a won a slam dunk contest. He, you know, he'll sell a lot of jerseys. Um, you know, the, the, he'll get people to tune in on MSG. So maybe they, they <laughs> roll the dice for him. Um, nowadays, that's that's no longer the deciding factor. It's does does that player fit in alongside the other star player that we have on the roster who's locked into a great contract? Um, so I just think it's very encouraging from a franchise standpoint that the Knicks front office feels comfortable enough. They don't have pressure from management. They don't have pressure from the fan base to do something short-sighted. They really have stuck to their goals. They've accumulated all this assets, and they're only going to push their chips into the middle of the table for that perfect piece. And I, I think it's great news. Yeah, in many ways, you know, it's like, you know, the trade for Zach Randolph or the trade for yep. Steve Francis or the trade yep. for – Anthony um, McDice, Tracy yep. McGrady, like like these kind of guys that normally the Knicks would go for. They would say, "Hey, you know, we need to make a, a big splash. We need to make a move here." So even though there's a lot of reasons why we probably shouldn't do this, like here we're gonna take the swing, and you know, all of those were huge misses. Here you have the Knicks looking at the situation, saying we don't have to make a move that doesn't put us um, as close to a championship as possible, which is what you want to see. You know, a lot of times it was like, all right, let's just get ourselves to respectability or let's get ourselves yeah. a chop to make the playoffs or whatever. Like they're beyond that. So I, I like the Knicks approach. You know, I, I would not have traded for Zach Levine. I would not have <laughs> traded for Carl Anthony Towns. And that's OK. Like the Knicks have a good team. Like you, that's the thing. I think the other thing, too, was those teams in the past, they they didn't have the luxury of actually having a watchable product to put on the floor. So yep. there was even more pressure to say, OK, we have to do something, even if we know there are major downsides, especially making some of these moves. We have to do something. Otherwise, you know, we, we could see ourselves in a position where we're, you know, just completely irrelevant. And and they actually made themselves even more relevant with some of these terrible yep. moves they made. The team was worse. But, like, they're in a position now because they have a pretty good team, a team that looks like a perennial playoff team, they don't have to panic. And I think it's, it's been refreshing to see that they haven't acted this way. It's also refreshing to me, and, like, it, it's interesting how – the people were so wrong about like what Leon Rose's approach to running the Knicks was going to be like everybody that like talked about Leon hiring said, Oh, he's going to be here because he's going to try to make big trades immediately and turn his team around super fast. And he couldn't be further from the truth. So like any report about Leon Rose being, you know, hot and heavy for any player or, or a certain approach that's, that, that regards the Knicks being super aggressive or certain things. Like I take them all at a grain of salt now because they all were wrong about how Leon Rose is going to build his team. He has shown that he was going to build his team the right way. He wasn't coming in for a quick buck or a quick fix. In many ways, this is probably James Dolan's best hiring since being a Nick owner. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to think about it. I mean, like all the bad coaches, so many of the bad presidents. This is a president who has put the Knicks in a position to be a perennial winner um, with tons of access to continue and improve our true upside, a true young core to build around. And uh, respect around the NBA. I mean, Dolan has made a lot of bad hires and a lot of moves that we look back on that probably the franchise back years. This one, we say, it's got to probably be his best one yet. 
yeah, obviously, you know, the, the, there's we'll see how it plays out. You know, do they take, do they take a step forward this year or kind of remain on that same impressive plateau? Do they yeah. take a step back after they made the playoffs? So, so we'll see. Um, and there have been some missteps from, yeah, uh, from sure. Rose along the way. Um, he's been by no means perfect. Uh, you know, the Fournier signing doesn't look right now. Um, Alex Burks. Top and, top and pick. Yeah. And top and pick and Derek Rose's contract and, you know, basically having to trade those, those, those guys, um, you know, Nerlens Noel, et cetera. Um, just to clear cap space. That being said, the the and you use the word refreshing, which is is really important. And 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 it's a change in in philosophy. Um, and maybe Rose did come in with you know telling uh, um, Dolan, listen, I'm going to get you a superstar. I'm going to get right. you stuff. But one didn't materialize, so he pivoted right. correctly. And just by not doing anything stupid makes him an, a really good executive in contrast right. to, the, to the other Knicks executives. And the key being he nailed the most important signing of his tenure, which was Jalen Brunson, whether you want to credit that for the relationship with his father or the, whatever the case is, um, they nailed it. Every team in the NBA would love to have Jalen Brunson on the on their team for that contract. The Knicks have him. Um, and so that in, in combination with, controlling your assets, keeping, you know, your, your young players and, and et cetera. We'll see, again, the, the, the top in situation play out. We'll see if they consolidate for that, that, you know, turn that into a star. Um, but so far, so good. Definitely for Leon Rose. Yeah. Leon Rose got to feel good where he's at. And I think he's got to feel good with uh, some of the chaos happening in Philly because his former client is making waves in ways that Philly fans and Philadelphia uh, media and the six or can't be happy about. And I know, uh, Leon Rose being a South Jersey guy himself, I know he probably has good intel on, on everything going on down here. So that's going to be a situation to continue to follow. 